0: You're listening to the Party in My Plants podcast. And here's a chat about letting the P in plant based stand for perspective, and the V in vegan stand for values, and the H stand for I'm hungry. Welcome to the Party in My Plants podcast where I make healthy living as fun as a party so you'll, you know, actually want to do it and then actually feel look and live your best. I'm your host, Talia Pollock. Now let's get this party started. While we're on the topic of making healthy eating a whole lot less hellish, although that's what we're always on the topic of here on the Party of My Plants podcast. One of my favorite essential non-healthy, healthy staples, as you probably know by now, is Amazing Grass greens powder. And I am so excited that Amazing Grass is sponsoring this podcast episode. I truly, honestly, wholeheartedly adore Amazing Grass's amazing grasses, which I'm sure you're well aware of if you follow me on Instagram. Their green superfood powders are an insanely tasty blend of nutritious greens, phytonutrient-packed fruits, veggies, grasses, digestive enzymes, and probiotics that I can't and I don't want to live without. And it just so happens that one of the kitchen tools I'm going to outline in today's episode is the vehicle through which I enjoy Amazing Grass amazing. To make Amazing Grass even more amazing, they're offering Party in My Plants podcast listeners 40% off. Yes, 40%, not just some measly 10%, 40% off. That's almost half off your Amazing Grass order. If you go to their website, amazinggrass.com and use coupon code PLANTPARTY40 at checkout. That's PLANTPARTY40 at checkout on amazinggrass.com. So this was the last interview I did before my unplanned burnout depression hiatus, and the fact that I've had this chat ready to air since November, but haven't yet, really goes to show just how allergic to my mic I was for that chunk of time, just like I described in my last episode, episode 177. Thank you, by the way, for your outpouring of love about that episode. I mean, I ultimately recorded that bad boy for myself, as I couldn't really continue to have an authentic relationship with you without telling you that story. But I was admittedly hoping that it would rub some inspiration off on you, too, But to hear that empowered so many of you to make bold moves and decisions in your own life has really been the damn icing on the cake. Well, the extra icing because my cakes always have icing. So the awkward part about this chat you're about to hear is that since it was recorded in November, but then I got too depressed to do my podcast anymore, it talks a wee bit about the holidays. Not like Passover or Easter, which might be relevant today, but like the holidays with snow and presents around trees and Michael Buble songs and turkeys as centerpieces. So I just want to address the elephant in the room before he enters the room. Because truthfully, Colleen's tips about surviving the holidays as a vegan can really carry over to any family or group gathering, which at the time of this recording was a safe and permitted thing to do. So there's that too. Well, after this awesome interview, I am backed with up-to-date post-Coronavirus life content. Or during coronavirus life content. But this was just way too good of a chat with a woman I've admired from the very first day I fell into plants. And I wasn't gonna not air it because it doesn't acknowledge social distancing or excessive hand washing. So you'll hear in a lot of upcoming podcast episodes in which I'm the guest on other people's shows talking about my book, Partying Your Plants, you'll hear about this coconut smoothie that set me on my plant party path and how since that was in 2008, before Instagram and YouTube and blogging was really a thing, I learned about eating plants through sitting in Barnes & Noble with a yellow legal pad. One of my first ever books at my self-study, Vegan 101, Barnes & Noble School, was Colleen Patrick-Goudreau's. So Colleen is an OG in the vegan world. Her voice is one I know so well, and her books, which of them there are seven, one for each dwarf, has graced my shelves for 10 years or so. In this chat, we talk about veganism, plant-based eating, not being judgmental, and Burger King. Colleen gives really down-to-earth tips on how to survive holidays as a plant eater, as well as tips on how to talk to loved ones and partners about your decision to not eat animal products. What I especially loved about this chat is that in Colleen's view, the V in vegan really stands for values. I was honestly a little scared before our chat that it would stand for Very dogmatic. As Colleen says, though, and as you'll have to hear to really understand, it's better to characterize being vegan as a means to an end and not as an end in itself. That's not the goal. The goal is compassion and wellness, and being vegan, as Colleen says, is the mode to getting there. Oh, it's so sweet. And also sweet is hearing her talk about her relationship with her book covers cow or steer at the very end of our chat. Colleen, thank you so much for coming on the Party in My Plants podcast.
1: Thank you for having me. It's good to be here. Oh,
0: I have seen your name in my life, especially because I don't know how to pronounce your last name. I've I've (laughs) seen you and tried to pronounce you for a, a decade. I mean, I have your book, The Vegan Table. When did that even come out?
1: That was 2009. That's 10 years. Yeah.
0: That's Mm -hmm. how long you've been in my life. Isn't that nuts? Oh, I
1: love it.
0: How do you pronounce that? Now let's practice my name, please. (laughs) (laughs) Colleen Patrick Uh, Godreau.
1: Godreau. Godreau. Godreau.
0: There you go. I wasn't that bad. Well done. (laughs) Awesome. Well, you are like an OG vegan lady. You've, what, seven books on veganism? Yes. That's amazing. And I want you to start by just explaining to people and where you fell into the veganism thing. I mean, how long ago did you become vegan? It must have been, if you've written books on it for over 10 years, it must have been a a journey. So please enlighten us.
1: (laughs) It has been a journey, just like for all of us. Uh, So yeah, this year is actually my 20-year vegan veganversary, I guess they say. Uh, So 20 years ago, yeah. I mean, I was vegetarian for a few years before that and then hadn't made the connection between the problems with dairy and eggs. And so once I did, I quote unquote, become vegan. I'm very, I'm very aware of, I think that sounds, it's such an interesting phrase to me, become vegan. And so I like to say that I didn't become vegan as much as I removed the blocks to the compassion that had been inside of me, because I didn't become something different. When I became vegan, I was already a compassionate person, but I wasn't manifesting it fully in my behavior.
0: That's so interesting. I mean, mm-hmm. do you feel like that's universal, that everybody has a little vegan inside them that they just are being blocked from?
1: Yes. And so that's I good. talk a lot about how if you characterize being vegan as a means to an end rather than an end in itself, and that's one of the things I think that makes my work unique because For me, being vegan is a manifestation of my values. It's not the goal. The goal is compassion and wellness. The means to achieve that goal and the best means and the best way to get there is by being vegan. But compassion is really the goal. And so do I think everybody has compassion inside of them? Absolutely. Uh, Of course, there are some exceptions. But for the most part, I do think people are compassionate, good people. That's why we all say, don't show me what happens. I don't want to look. Don't tell me. I don't want to know. Because we know Mm. uh, that we're compassionate and it would be upsetting.
0: That is very fascinating. I've never heard anyone talk about veganism like that. Mm. We're only like three minutes in. That's oh. amazing. <laughs> okay. Wow. Well, where did you come to this revelation from? I mean, how did you shift from vegetarian? Why were you even vegetarian to begin with?
1: Yeah. So it was always for the animals. I I read Diet for a New America when I was 19 or 20. And I had no idea. I mean, I was someone who loved animals. I would never hurt them. None of us want to look at, you know, animals being tortured or killed. I mean, obviously, I avoided that even though I, you know, kind of had a suspicion that animals had to be killed in order to be eaten, but didn't really know uh, what was behind the scenes. And so reading Diet for New America, which was John Robbins' book that he wrote back in the 80s, was the was the book that started my journey and started my awakening. So I was vegetarian for several years and pescatarian, back and forth between vegetarian and pescatarian, and then read a book called Slaughterhouse, as you can imagine, wasn't wasn't my, you know pleasant nighttime reading, but um, <laughs> not when you
0: cozy up with in front of the fire or on the exactly beach. <laughs>
1: you you do with lots of tissues yeah. and and yeah, That's I was uh, quite it's, it was, but it was, I mean, in the sense that it changed everything for me, it is what completely completed the awakening. And that's when I, and and I mean it when I say, even then that was 20 years ago, you know, I became vegan. Like I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know that I was going to become this thing. I remember calling my husband. I was in LA for a conference for a, a web company I was working for at the time. And I I was reading the book then and I was at this conference and I didn't really care about this job and I didn't really care about this conference, but I was forced to go. And I was there and there were all these sessions on, you know, whatever it was, technology and this. And I remember thinking, what are you people doing? There's something so much more important happening. Don't you know? And that's really how it felt to me. And so I called my husband and said, I'm vegan, like whatever that means. It meant, I don't want to participate in this violence against animals anymore. And so if it meant that I became this thing called vegan, you know, taking the next step from vegetarian, then that's, that's what it was.
0: Fascinating. So you, yeah, I mean, you came at it really from your heart and then I guess you found this label or this Mm -hmm. culture or this diet. I mean, it's so many things. Like, what do you consider veganism as? Like, I mean, I... Came into veganism back in the day for diet reasons. I had really, really um, terrible digestive issues, and through lots of trial and error, I discovered a vegan diet. Put it, started eating that way, and was like, "Oh my god, I feel incredible!" And it changed my life. But I was looking at it at the time just through the lens of food. But you're coming at it backward, or not like one way is better than the other—a totally (laughs) different way. You came at it more like big picture compassion, animals. And then I guess veganism was a way of like narrowing into that as a lifestyle. So do you identify veganism as like a diet or a culture? Like what do you kind of consider it?
1: I considered a manifestation of our deepest values. So whether your values are wellness or your values are compassion, it to me, it's the manifestation of that, right? Right because most people don't like it's just so interesting because we all have that experience of I was this and then I realized that uh-huh. and so whether you're coming at it from a health perspective or an ethical perspective or you know environmental perspective whatever it is it really is the I didn't make the connection that what I was eating was contributing to X was contributing to disease, was contributing to violence against animals, was, contrib- was contributing to deforestation. So I don't see, like, I really caution people who become vegan against talking about veganism, like that's the end all, like Mm -hmm. that's the goal, like that's the badge, like that's the club. It's not, if that's what you perceive it as, then you get really hung up on trying to do it perfectly and trying to do it purely. And, and that's the problem. And so for me, it's the means to the goal and the goal in your case was this optimal wellness Mm -hmm. was feeling Good and not feeling sick. And, and, you know, and that's what happens too. It's like, obviously, I care about that as well. Mm-hmm. There's usually one door through which we walk, and then, you know, there are other reasons that keep us totally that keep us, right. Cause you see all the benefits.
0: Absolutely. Well, let's talk about that perfectionism because I feel like the perfect vegan problem is a real problem. Yeah. Is this something you hear a ton about? Like, what do you say to help ease people's like stress about being perfect vegan?
1: Yeah, of course I hear. <laughs> yeah, I hear about it a lot. I mean, I've been doing this work for for so long, and I've been doing it so long sustainably and joyfully because I genuinely listen to what people Tell me, I genuinely hear what their concerns are and what their challenges are. And what I know for sure is that, you know, we're creatures of habit. Mm -hmm. We avoid change like the plague. We don't want to look at what happens to the animals. We don't want to look at the fact that animal products contribute to disease, et cetera, because the thing we're most afraid of is change. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm convinced of is that. We're most afraid of change because we don't know what's gonna be on the other side of it. Mm-hmm. So what I also know is that people do nothing when they think they have to do everything. Mm-hmm. Literally. People think if I'm not gonna be perfect at it, if I'm not gonna be able to be, you know, pure, if it's not gonna be all the 100%, way. 100%, yeah, 100% not even try not even try. might as well not do anything at all. So my motto has always been don't do nothing because you can't do everything, do something, anything. Because as soon as you open up the door to, I don't have to do this perfectly, but I just have to do something. It gives you permission to be imperfect. It gives you permission to just be imperfect, but that doesn't mean it gives, it's, it's so interesting because there are some people who I think would consider themselves you know, or they wouldn't consider themselves. There are some people I would consider rigid. There's There, there are vegans I would consider judgmental, just like humans. We're human beings, so of course. We, we are judgmental. And there are those people who would say, oh, if you say don't do nothing because you can't do everything to people, you're just giving them permission to do just enough and not more than that. And the thing that's interesting is, no, actually what happens is people start looking at themselves and their behavior and they say, I could be really honest with myself. I could do more than I'm doing right now, right? Because people say, I couldn't give up cheese, but I could give up everything else. Mm-hmm. And I come along and say, well, then give up everything else except cheese. And they go, what? I can <laughs> do that? I never heard that before. No one's ever given me permission to do just so much. And then people go, well, well, then what's what's the big deal about cheese? I could let go of cheese too. So it gives people permission to just do something. And that movement It opens up a whole world. So yes, I think the perfectionism is literally what stops people from doing anything at all.
0: Absolutely. And I think that the V word vegan, veganism, it really does resonate like rigidity. Like that's like what I think of when I see the word vegan. Unfortunately, I think we're moving more towards like the word plant based, which is the word that I use. But I feel that um correct me if I'm wrong, but vegans don't love to also use the term plant-based? Or do you? Like, how do you feel about vegan versus plant-based?
1: Well, I cannot speak for every vegan, and that's the point, is that no one can speak for everybody. And the, there's as much diversity in the vegan population or the plant-based population as there is in the human population. And no one has the right to tell anybody what word they should use or shouldn't use or, or define what that means. And so I just encourage people to be authentic. And if you know, obviously, I embrace the word vegan, because I'm also helping define what that means, because it does mean something people know, you know, kind of what it is when they hear the word, they understand for the most part that it means, you know, not consuming animal products. And then of course there's some confusion around, well, are fish plants or are fish animals? And so some people say, you know, is vegan, do you eat fish? Well, obviously fish are not plants. So, so there's a little bit of, you know, clarity you have to provide, but that's going to be the case with anything. So I do know that there are people who don't, like to use the word plant-based because they think it means that it's not completely 100% uh, eschewing animal products. Mm-hmm. And so they think it means only a foundation. I know some vegans don't like plant-based because they say that that means it's only diet and that doesn't have anything to do right. with animals with ethics and you know all the other products that we wear and the activities that we participate in, et cetera. I want people to just live authentically and compassionately and, and healthfully and not eat animal products and whatever they call themselves. Honestly, I don't care, but I just want people to at least characterize themselves in a way that's authentic. And so if you want to call yourself plant based, you want to call yourself vegan, uh, that's fine, but you know, do your work, then step back and let somebody else just be who they are and you just be who you
0: Right. Because years ago, years, years ago, I wrote an article for Mind Body Green, calling myself vegan. And I got, you know, all this hate mail about, no, you're not vegan, you're plant-based. And it was the first time, this was really a long time ago that, that I, I mean, this was before like all the blogs and everything and Instagram and all that stuff where like all these terms really blew up. But it was like, my first time of understanding that there real I, that there are two word, there are two options like i was using vegan cuz plant based didn't really exist mm-hmm. and then what the vegans that were so mad at me were really saying is like no like you're not vegan just cuz you don't eat meat are you wearing ugg boots are you using leather like right. you know so that's where that I think vegan is such a tough word because some people use it just for diet, but others use it for like whole world view and a whole way of living, like not consuming or touching anything that has, you know, to do with animals really, right?
1: Yeah, and that's, I mean, that is what I mean when I say that. But that also happens organically. The point is, there's not a rule book to follow. What happens organically is when you make the connection between the animals that you're eating and the violence you're contributing to, then you start saying, what am I doing over here and what about -hmm. about the leather I'm wearing and what about the silk and what about the cashmere and what about all these other animal products and other forms of animal exploitation? It happens organically because once you're not participating in the behavior that made you defensive or guilty before, then you can start to look at all the other areas in which you might be contributing to violence against animals and you can extrapolate this to the health as well. The point is, that's the point, is that there's not a rule book. And so I'm so sorry that you had to deal with those kinds of letters just identifying in a way that resonated with you at the time or that at least characterized at the time what you thought it meant. There's a phenomenon called, uh, I don't know if you've heard of it, it's called the narcissism of minor differences. It was a Freudian term and so it, the idea is that it's it's precisely communities that are the most related to each other uh, who are the ones who ridicule each other the most mm. right so it's called the narcissism of small differences and you see this in the vegan community like we have bigger issues to deal with than whether or not you're calling yourself vegan or plant-based like literally 10 billion <laughs> land animals are being killed every year in the United States right being brought into this world only to be killed we're deforesting you know forests we're changing the climate because of animal agriculture people are dying from diseases they have no business dying from and you're worried about someone using the word vegan over plant-based right. or plant-based over vegan like we need to keep things in perspective and i think what happens is that that narcissism of minor differences happens because well, A, I think it's low hanging fruit. I think you feel like you have the ability to criticize because you're you're closer to me than say someone who's way over there eating animal products. Right. And at least you, we have some commonality so you'd be able to, you know, your 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 fair game. Yeah. And I think it's I think it's unfortunate. I think it's really uh, I think it's ridiculous.
0: Yeah. That's what my husband wrote back, um, in a comment to like defend me. He was like, guys, like, why don't you not pick on somebody that's already encouraging other yeah. people to eat less meat? Why don't you go after people that like actually eat a ton of meat? Like, what yeah. are you doing? Exactly. Um, but how about we just go after nobody and just lead by example? How we have to, exactly. I'm like, <laughs> how about we just go after nobody? Yeah. How about
1: we just worry about ourselves? Yes. And, you know, so, so I, I talk a lot about, you know, just align yourself with the people who agree with you. Stop worrying about people who don't or, you know, or, or who are close enough, but you think they're too far away and you want to police how what language they use. Imagine how much we could accomplish if we just worried about ourselves and rallied together around us the people who are interested in the same ideas and the same thoughts and just did the work that was necessary and not worry about the one percent difference that we have among us. We would get so much more done. But I think that's what happened. I think well-intentioned people, and I do think it's coming from a place of good intention. It's just that it's just it doesn't get you know manifested in a very yeah. productive way. It's not very compassionate. I'll say it's that not, much. (laughs) it's not very compassionate. It's not. But I think the intention is coming from a place of, I think, I think the intention is good. So yeah, I think people think that that's activism. Mm. They think that speaking up, you know, on behalf of this ideology that they have to defend, I think they mistake that for activism. And that's what I'm saying is, There are better ways to advocate. There are more effective ways. There are more compassionate ways than worrying about uh, a label that someone's using Mm -hmm. uh, because you're not the problem, Talia. Like, you know, you're not. A problem. Uh, we all have to just look at ourselves and 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 do the work that's necessary to create the compassionate and healthy world we we say we want to have. Yeah,
0: and what's amazing is that I really love how you keep kind of saying there can be a gray area because I think when people think of the word vegan, they think no gray, there's no gray. But it sounds like I mean there you believe that there can be some flexibility. that Someone can be like mostly vegan or mostly plant based. That even every meatless meal really is a victory. I mean, is that A way that somebody listening can really take from this that like, you know, like it's not about perfection. Every meatless meal is a victory.
1: Well, right. So a couple things I would say to that is I, I will say that vegan means something and vegan does mean not eating animal products and, and, and doing the best we can to not contribute to violence against animals and to do the best we can to just live a conscious life where we're not hurting anybody. Right. I mean, that's, that's what it means to me is again, manifesting our values of compassion and kindness. Now, if you want to identify with vegan, that's what's funny because vegans or vegetarians, even who just get in a, tiff about the, the word when people say, well, I'm vegan, but I eat fish sometimes. And then they say, but that's not vegan. And that's crazy. If the fact that someone wants to identify with vegan or, as vegan, to me, says that they see something positive in that, and we should embrace that rather than say, no, 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 that's not vegan. wrong. Mm-hmm. right, you're doing it wrong. I mean, we can say, like, well, you know, okay, like you know, vegan does kind of mean like not eating animal products, but sure, you know, you're doing you're doing that. That's great. Who cares how someone's labeling right. themselves?? Right. What we should embrace is that people are making an effort to eat less meat, dairy, and eggs for whatever reason they're doing it because we live in a culture that in every way, every single day, Several times a day, we're hearing the messages that we should consume as much meat, dairy, and eggs as possible. So anything we could do to support people in reducing the amount of meat, dairy, and eggs they're eating, I think we have to do. And it's a positive thing, however they identify themselves.
0: I love that. Preach. Now, okay, so you basically just dropped the title of your new book, The Joyful Vegan, How to Stay Vegan in a World that Wants You to Eat Meat, Dairy, and Eggs. That is a... Bold title, I love it. I love that you're right to the point. But talk to me about that. Like, how are you seeing that society pressures people to eat meat and dairy like all day, every day? Like, I mean, it must be subliminal messaging. I don't feel like I'm seeing like cow billboards, but I don't think you're wrong. So, give me more information on this.
1: Well, I will say, first of all, we are definitely in more of a bubble, whether it's online. Or, you know, everything that we're consuming these days in terms of advertising obviously is catering to mm, what right. we're already clicking on. So if totally. you're not seeing advertisements, you personally, for cow's milk or beef burgers, it's probably because you're not clicking on those things right. to begin with. So I will say that. That's but, right. But let's back up. I mean, most of us grew up eating meat, dairy, and eggs. Most of us were raised eating animal products. And so the messages we're getting, first of all, is that our, 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 the habits that get created when we're very young... Are based on you know eating eating animal products you know dairy eggs, cheese, you know ice cream, meat, chicken, fish, whatever it is. so in our families we're conditioned, and that's pretty key because our habits are formed when we're young, and that the animal products that we're eating coats our palates. we you know desensitize our taste buds so that if we don't have some kind of rich fatty You know, meat or or animal product, we think it doesn't have flavor. We think it's not satisfying, et cetera. So it starts in our families. Social, you know, occasions and holidays all center around animal products. The religions that we grow up in all have to do um, with animal products. It's one of the reasons we're pushed back so much when we do say we're not going to eat animal products. People take it as an affront to the values they've instilled in you uh, through religion, through your family, through your social occasions through the holidays. And then, of course, the industries themselves. I mean, well, the industries themselves that also affect government policies. So the reason why so many people eat so much meat, dairy, and eggs is because of government policies that make animal products cheap, artificially cheap. If we were to pay the true cost of of a burger or a a bucket of chicken wings, let me tell you something, it wouldn't cost $1.99. And so that's all because of government policies that are shaped by the industries who've been lobbying the government for, for decades, but also it's really how the nutrition standards were set up. It was the nutrition sta- standards were originally set up to encourage agricultural products, and and the highlight was was meat, dairy, and eggs. So, uh, so then you've got the industries who are marketing and advertising uh, to the consumers to keep the cycle going from the time we're very young. So in every way, subtle and not so subtle, if people just started paying attention every day to all the different ways that we're messaged uh, to eat meat, dairy, and and eggs, you'd be surprised, but it's so under the radar because it's just such a part of what we do. And that's why when people hear about vegetarians or vegans or plant based or whatever you want to call them, <laughs> they say, well, th- they have an agenda. Well, that's biased. Well, that's, you know, that's outside of the status quo. Just because what you're doing is part of the status quo doesn't mean it's not biased. And that's the problem is that we seem biased because everything else that we're doing, eating meat, dairy, and eggs is just such a huge part of our everyday our everyday lives
0: I mean you're so right obviously you're right but I'm just thinking about even just commercials I mean I don't, obviously don't watch a lot of commercials because we're all watching stuff on like Hulu and Netflix now but you know if there is a commercial for a family eating breakfast and then maybe the commercials for a carpet or like a shirt or a detergent what's that family eating for breakfast they're eating eggs they're drinking milk like you' it's like subliminal like that.
1: It's so subliminal, yeah. so much so that I've seen movies where they're clearly eating tofu uh or or, or soy milk yeah, there've been a couple movies where you go, "Oh my god, they just pulled out a soy milk carton."
0: What? Oh, right. Uh-huh, cuz they're like new age people. Mhm. Right, like a trendy n- show. Well,
1: Yes. Or the point is that it's set. We're so used to seeing the meat dairy next that when you see something different, it's such, it's so noticeable. And so that's, that's what you're saying is that the stuff is so ingrained that we're not noticing it. And that's what, that's the, that's the idea. That's what conditioning is.
0: Fascinating. And I mean, but you've been doing this for 20 years. I, I figure that now with McDonald's and Burger King, having the beyond burger and all that, like, Plant-based is a normal word now. Like I was a few months ago, I had a flight canceled home from Buffalo and I had to drive back to New York and it was like a through the night drive and we had to stop at Burger King and I walked in and they had just like sort of started the Beyond Burger a few like a month or so prior and I walked in and I'm in the middle of some like random part of upstate New York and I asked the woman at the desk or whatever the checkout where what's I don't even know what it's called where you buy <laughs> you don't the salad you? No, you're like the desk. Yeah. <laughs> the counter. The, the counter, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, hey, what is this? And I just wanted to hear how she described it. And she's like, oh, the Beyond Burger is a plant based burger. And I was shocked that she even, I mean, maybe she doesn't even know what that was, but she said it. And so I'm just thinking that we're. As far along in this plant-based vegan journey as we've ever been, yet you still feel that there's really a need to release a book about like, yo, stop the you know, messaging, stop the madness. Has it not improved or have you seen it improve? Like how has it changed over 20 years?
1: Well, the book isn't telling the companies to stop no, the messaging it's us. and stop no, the madness. Right, it's teaching us how to cope in a world where we get this messaging because those are all positive signs and I'm very hopeful, but mm-hmm. I mean, we have a long way to go because the foundation that uh, most people, uh, you know, are living from is that we need to eat meat to survive and that we have to have animal products in order to thrive and you know what about the farmers we don't want to collapse the animal agriculture industry i mean again it's so embedded and it's a very real thing that the government subsidies make meat dairy and eggs so cheap they're not subsidizing the healthy foods for uh, human consumption they're subsidizing all of the crops uh, that get fed to animals so that we could keep meat dairy and eggs cheap so so there's a there's a lot there. So yes, it's it's really exciting. But until you know McDonald's or Burger King becomes a completely plant based fast food uh, uh, restaurant or you know fast food place, um, we've got a long way to go. But the point is that vegans or people who are living plant based, it's still the minority, and being outside of the status quo comes with its own set of challenges. And that's what the book is about: is helping people communicate their values. You know, helping people understand why their families react the way they do when we tell them that we're vegan or plant-based, helping our families understand that we're not—we're not necessarily criticizing the values that they did teach us or the identities that they raised us in around our family's religion or cultures or whatever it is. So this is a lot to say uh, about living—you know—outside of the status quo. It could pertain to anybody, whether it's vegan or not. But the point is that. We are still a very small percentage of the population and there needs to be some guidance around how to cope with that, especially when the reason we're doing what we're doing is because there's so much damage that comes from the thing that we've stopped doing.
0: What percentage of people do you know identify as like plant-based or vegan right now?
1: Oh, it's just so hard to—it's yeah. so hard because you know surveys are based on people's opinions of themselves, and everyone has a much higher opinion of themselves than is necessarily um, <laughs> <laughs> reflected in reality. People don't remember uh, what they do, but I mean the numbers vary in the United States. It's definitely under five percent, but that's not the point. The reason why Burger King is selling the uh, Beyond Burger is not because of vegans; it's because of the number of non-vegans who are ordering plant-based foods. And so that's why it doesn't matter how people identify in the end. So I mean I think the number that I saw recently is that the customer base for something like the plant-based burgers is about 15% is from vegans. Well, there's a you know Mm -hmm. no company would survive if they were just getting 15% of the market share. They need a lot more than that. And so it's because of the non-vegans who are buying all of these products that we're seeing such a success in those areas. I mean vegans are helping too, but yeah, it's it's mostly non-vegans.
0: Yeah, well I'm I'm close friends with um, Neil Harden who's the chef of ABCV, and I was at. Asking him, and he says that most people that go to ABCV are definitely not vegan. They're just regular eaters that want a plant based meal, which I think is tremendous.
1: For sure. I mean, I've heard that from every restaurant. Again, I I wish that we had enough in terms of the market share, but no, I mean, that's not a wish. I mean, it's great that that non-vegans are going to vegan restaurants and buying vegan products. Um, and it's great because for so long, and that's where the plant-based vegan terminology comes in, I think plays a part is because it's interesting. There's a lot to say around the word vegan versus plant-based when it comes to people. There's another thing to say about it as it relates to food, And I do tend to call my food plant based, even though I consider myself vegan, because I do see vegan, like I said, as a manifestation of values. Whereas plant based, um, to most people, doesn't have uh, an ideology attached to it. Mm -hmm. And so there was for a long time, and I think we're starting to see a change in this people thinking that, oh, vegan food is only for vegans, right? Mm -hmm. Obviously, we're talking about fruits and vegetables and nuts and seeds and beans and mushrooms and grains and herbs and spices. That's quote unquote vegan food but those are for everybody. It's not right. just for vegans. And so the word plant-based I think really helps people get over the ideology that they associate with veganism. And so that's why I think your you know, average consumer is buying the quote unquote plant-based products because it doesn't have the attachment to ethics and ideology that the word vegan does. A
0: hundred percent. I could not agree more. And I think that's great. I mean, in the 20 years that you've been doing this, like I'm sure it's been remarkable to see all these, the the fact that Burger King even has the Beyond Burger. I mean, does that give you hope?
1: It gives me hope. Absolutely. I mean, you know, Burger King isn't my barometer for success necessarily. I, mean, I didn't even uh, know what a
0: counter was, so. <laughs>
1: <No>. Exactly, <Yeah. laughs> exactly. And, and, you know, and that's the thing is that everybody's on a different point of the spectrum. I mean, it's very unlikely that I'm going to go to Burger King just because I am so far away from someone who – and I used, to, I used to go to all these places. I grew up in New Jersey, you know, and okay. I ate at all these fast food restaurants, grew up White Castle. I mean, oh you know, this is what <laughs> – I seriously. And okay. so I, it's so you're judgment. just like us. <laughs> exactly. That's what I mean is that we've all come from the same place, but it's not about me. That's the point is that it's about the fact that, that your average consumer has an option that they didn't have before so that they can make a healthier choice and a more compassionate choice. So a hundred percent, I'm on board with that. And we've got a long way to go because obviously I, again, I eat a variety of foods. I eat whole foods. I eat on a spectrum of processed foods. Everybody does. If you eat a blueberry that's frozen, you're eating a processed food. I mean, so let's get off our high horse. About processed foods. Um, Everybody eats processed foods. There's a spectrum of processed foods. But in the end, I want people to eat healthier foods because the more we eat highly processed foods, the more we're displacing whole foods. Doesn't mean there's not a place for them. But, you know, is the barometer that we all want to pat ourselves on the back for that people can eat a highly processed burger at a fast food restaurant that is, you know, made in a lab? (laughs) Well, and I don't have a problem with that. It's more that we can do better than. Thriving on fast food, like that—that's mm-hmm. the point. Right. Um, but of course, I see it as progress. There's lots of ways to measure progress, and that's one of them. And I'm—I'm I'm encouraged by that. If Burger King could make the same amount of money selling beyond burgers, they will do it. And I mean that. I do not believe the executives sit around every day and figure out how they can contribute to violence against animals and health—you know, ill health among the human population. Yeah, they just want money. They just want money. And the reason they continue to sell animal products is because that's always worked for them, because people pay for them, and because it's cheap for them to do so. If they could do the same thing, and as they look at their business model, and they say, wait a second, what we're doing is not sustainable. It's not sustainable for our future. It's not sustainable for the environment. It's not even sustainable from a financial perspective because of all the foodborne illnesses they have to account um, in. They have to factor in all of those costs. There's a lot of costs to selling animal products. If they can, and they clearly are, making money off of the same food, that they can then also not pass that cost on to the consumer. I mean, that's the key, is that people are not going to go to Burger King. You know, it's not going to succeed if Burger King's impossible um, burger, beyond whatever it is, whoever's selling what, uh, is, you know, $4 more than the animal-based burger. So... I'm really grateful to the companies that are doing this work to produce these products and to get them to a price point that's cost competitive. It's going to be hard because of all the subsidies, but um, especially the subsidies around the soy and the corn. But I mean, but that's what people are trying to figure out. And I'm grateful to them for doing so.
0: Yeah, well, it goes back to that saying, vote with your dollar. I mean, it sounds like you're really trying to do the groundwork to encourage people to vote with their dollar. But here's a stat that I learned from you that's not very encouraging, and I really want to hear what you think about this. That 84% of people who once identified as vegan or vegetarian stop being vegan. That is a very high percentage.
1: It is a high percentage. And, you know, it's one survey. And, uh, you know, we already know anecdotally. And as I said, we already know that the number of people who identify as vegan is low. And it has been low for, you know, the decades that people have been using the word vegan to identify themselves. So what's going on? And that's why I wrote this book, because I think what's going on is not that there isn't food available for people to Uh eat, it's not that they can't get protein in plants, it's that they're grappling with the social and the cultural and the the emotional aspects of living vegan uh, in a non-vegan world. And that's why I identified these common experiences that most people experience um, once they become vegan, once they become plant-based, once they're doing something so different than the rest of the world or the rest of their family or the rest of their social circle, um, and especially having the awareness that they do about how destructive animal products are, there's a lot to contend with once you're awake. It's a lot easier to be asleep when everybody else is asleep. But once you're awake and everybody else is asleep, it can it can be daunting. And so that's what I really think it comes down to. It's not about the food. It really comes down to the social aspects and, and that's why I wrote The Joyful Vegan. So
0: what are some of the most common and challenging external, social, and interpersonal factors that do lead to that struggle for vegans?
1: I think the social aspects. I think people really underestimate how much we have a need to belong.
0: Yeah, and fit in.
1: And fit in. And that's not a judgment. It is literally evolution. Yeah. We are we evolve as social creatures and we want to fit in. We don't want to stand out from the crowd. We don't want to be a nonconformist. We want to conform. Now you'll hear you know, some vegans criticize people who stop being vegan, who might use other reasons for saying why they stopped being vegan. But when I really, I do think a lot of it has to do with the fact that if you're constantly swimming upstream, it's exhausting. Now that doesn't mean that you still wouldn't. Be swimming upstream after you read The Joyful Vegan. But what I'm trying to give people are the skills and the tools they need to swim upstream in a way that is sustainable, in a way that doesn't feel like you're constantly battling either. If you look at everything as a battle, then you're going to feel like you're fighting all the time. Right. So exhausting. it's exhausting. But what I help people do and what I'm hoping. Uh, the joyful vegan will do is give people the skills they need to find their voice, to be proud about what they're doing, to understand why people react the way they do, to understand that you don't have to go and, you know, abandon all of your family and friends just because you're eating differently than they are. There's just ways to navigate the social aspects and the cultural aspects so that you feel empowered to keep doing what means so much to you and what's so important to you while still having a sense of belonging, both in the communities that you've once had a sense of belonging in, but also in with the new communities, because it is a matter of also finding some supportive, like-minded uh, folks as well. So so there's a lot to navigate. And I really do think that the biggest part of it has to do with uh, the social aspects uh, and having a sense of belonging and understanding what that means and why that's so important, finding your voice, and uh, and also just Again, kind of worrying about yourself and not and and doing the best we can in this world and not getting so hung up about perfection.
0: Right. So, okay, the holidays are coming up: Thanksgiving, Hanukkah, Christmas, New Year's—the whole thing—and as you were talking about. Food is a major player and like the focal point of a lot of these winter festive holidays. So, you know, applying some stuff from your book, what are some things that vegans could do around the holiday season to not feel like a burden or not feel like the odd one out and not, you know, just like feel like crap about themselves? Like how does, what's some advice you have to get through that? It's a really challenging time.
1: It is a challenging time, especially because we put so much weight on these animal products and they become the Like the turkey
0: is Thanksgiving.
1: Like Thanksgiving is turkey. (laughs) And how unfortunate is that, right? Because my point about that is that that turkey is a symbol. And of course, it's a powerful symbol for a lot of people. But the point is, it's still a symbol. So what's underneath that? What is Thanksgiving really about? It's about community. It's about generosity. It's about family. It's about abundance. It's about the fall harvest. Sweet potatoes. It's about... (laughs) Sweet potatoes. So first of all, I think we should keep that in mind, and I think it's something we can remind our family and friends about uh, as we're celebrating this holiday with them. I do think we should have conversations with our family members. Prior to the holidays coming about, if we just approach them on the day of Thanksgiving and say, I can't be with you. This is too hard. You have this turkey here and I think it's awful because X, Y, and Z because of all the reasons it's awful. Mm-hmm. That's not going to go well. Mm-mm. So we have to back up and we have to have conversations with our family members now. So. I mean, This happens a lot, especially when people first become vegan or, or plant-based. One thing that happens is that people don't go to their family's dinner because they don't want to be part of it. They don't want to see the turkey on the table. And they don't want to be part of what they see as you know, a, a, an exclusive holiday where they don't feel included. They don't feel like there's anything for them. So that's one option. But you always have to consider what are the costs to that. And There probably are some costs to that, especially around the relationships that you have. So how can you still reflect your values, still want to participate in your family, still be part of these relationships, but also find a way to do it so that you don't feel that it's so painful? I do believe in compromise, and I do think there's ways, especially... When it comes to the turkey at Thanksgiving, so one of the things we can do is if seeing the turkey on the table is so painful, and I think it is for a lot of people, we might go to our family members and say, I really want to be here on this holiday because it means something to me because it is about family for me and I love you. And I just need you to know that now that I know what I know, it's really hard to sit and eat with this turkey you know, try to use words that aren't just there to be provocative, you know, maybe not say carcass at that moment, because they might feel defensive if you say that, but that's what it is. I realize that. And say, just having that turkey on the table is just, it represents everything that's so painful about what I now know. Is there a way, I'm not saying not have turkey, even though, of course, I'd love to help you uh, create a a holiday meal without the turkey, but is there a way, maybe can we have the turkey sit in the kitchen Mm. and not be at Of course, we can say things like, I'd love to create the holiday menu with you. And of course, if if they're open to that. When it comes to the food around these holidays, but also really around most people's dinners, I believe very strongly that it's not about the meat. I believe very strongly that it's about a centerpiece and it's about a focal point. So I encourage folks to think about what are ways to create that centerpiece and what are ways to create that focal point, not only on the table, but on the plate. So talk to your family members about having stuffed squash about having a stuffed uh, tomato, stuffed eggplant, something like that, Mm -hmm. or a portobello or a polenta that's shaped into a, you know, a a shape, you know, it's a square. I mean, something that has a focal point. So there are ways you can talk about the food. You can certainly ask them to use non-dairy butter instead of uh, dairy-based butter in the mashed potatoes so that you can enjoy the food as well so that everybody can eat and they wouldn't know the difference. Mm -hmm. Um, talk to them. And I think that's the thing we don't do very well is we presume our family members can predict what we're thinking, that they know how hard it is for us, that they think, you know, we assume that they, they think that, but we also then judge them for not knowing how important it is to us. Um, but the reason they don't, no, it's because we've never told them. So, communication, I think, is really key. And then, and finding ways to compromise so that you can still be part of these relationships um, without compromising your values.
0: Well, what happens beyond the holidays if you're just married or dating or roommates or engaged to a meat eater and you are not? I mean, how do you navigate that or advise people to?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is a big thing because it's such a huge part of who we are and and certainly what we do. I mean, obviously we eat several times a day. And so it's a huge part of our relationships and our social engagements. So one thing I do um, encourage, again, people to consider is that vegan is the manifestation of what the values are. When you're dating, I really encourage people to not just look for someone who's vegan, but what are the values underneath that would actually Encourage someone to manifest those values, i.e. become vegan. Those values are compassion, openness, kindness, consciousness, awareness, adventure, right? So if you're looking for someone who might share your values, those are the values that you're going to look for, not that they're vegan. Because just because someone's vegan doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be compatible. But if someone's open, if someone's kind, if someone's compassionate. So that's the first thing I say about dating. And if someone shows up to a date and they say, oh, you're vegan, oh my God, I love my steak, I'm going to order my steak, whether you like it or not, you might not want to go on a second date with them, not because they're ordering the steak, but because they don't care about who you are and what this means to you. When it comes to already being in the relationship where you become vegan and your partner- Like you're already married. Like you're already married. Um, so same thing. I think communication is key. Talking to the person, letting them know how much this means to you, but saying that I understand that you're not there yet. You haven't read the things I've read. You haven't looked at the things I've looked at. Hey, would you consider doing so? I and mean, that's what happened with my husband. I gave him the same books. He was willing to read the same books and he drew the same conclusion I did. So if he's open, if he or she is open and compassionate, so you can certainly say, don't force them. Don't have the expectation that they're going to make the same decision decision you did, but just at least have the conversation. Like, I understand you don't really know what I've just found out. Would you be willing to know if they still say, yes, I am. And then still they're on their journey and maybe it takes them a while and maybe they'll never get there. Again, I think it's compromise. You might say it's really hard for me to live in a house where I can smell bacon or I can see again, the products that are literally the products of violence, the products of, of unhealthy you know, choices. And it's just really hard for me to see it. What are some compromises you can make? I encourage people to like talk about that. Maybe, maybe the deal is your partner eats meat and dairy and eggs or whatever outside the house, but they don't eat it in the house. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's a second refrigerator so that they can keep their animal products in that refrigerator. Maybe there's meat, but they only cook it outside on a grill and not inside the house, right? So these are ways to say, what can we do together? And I'll tell you, if your partner knows that you're willing to at least meet them halfway yeah. also. So they're going to feel less judged, and they're going to feel more inclined to be open and to help you. Totally,
0: absolutely. I mean, my husband and I do like all of those things you just listed. We don't cook meat, but he can eat it outside of the house. If he there's like one like turkey sausage that he loves, that if I walk, I, I I'll go on a run, I'll come in, he's cooking it, and I <laughs> want to vomit. Yeah. It's oh, yeah. so we stop. Yeah, I like he could see my <laughs> reaction, so we we put a nail in that when that was done. Right so yeah. like yeah, I mean, you don't have to be you know, a not food Nazi to to do this, for lack of a better term.
1: Yeah, people care about you. That's the reason you're in relationship with them. And if And if the relationship doesn't survive you making this change, there are probably deeper issues that don't have to do with being vegan, right? If you can't communicate, if you can't find compromise, if you can't be compassionate with one another, if you can't be understanding, if you can't have patience, those are issues that are pretty poisonous to any relationship, whether or not you're vegan.
0: And I think leading by example is just gold. I mean, that's what happened with me and my husband. I actually, my boyfriend before my husband and I broke up because I was a very judgy, aggressive vegan and he was like sneaking burgers behind my back (laughs) and we did not work out. So this time around, I was determined to be like, oh, you want a burger? Like, go for it. And after a while, with me eating so well and him seeing how much energy I had and how easy it was, and tasting my food, he really has limited the animals that he eats. And so I think leading by example is like major.
1: Absolutely. I, I completely agree.
0: So what do you say to people, myself included, who really did or do feel that they've needed to incorporate some animal products to feel good? And I know this is a really hot button topic, but for me, I was vegan for four years, very diligently, and then I just started doing a lot of intense workouts, and I felt myself I was getting sick all the time, no matter how much I supplemented with protein, and and I just wanted to add in a little little egg whites and fish. And I feel so much better. How do you feel about that? Do you feel that I failed? Do you think it's okay? Um, If somebody else is not me, should they beat themselves up? Like,
1: where do you put that? (laughs) I'm certainly not going (laughs) to. Yes. Let it out. Go beat yourself up. Self-flagellation. No, look, the nutrients we need are plant-based. The reason we even get the nutrients we need um, through animals is because the animals eat plants. Bottom line. The nutrients we need are plant-based. So what we're doing is we're going through the animals to get to the nutrients that the animals get because they eat plants. Everything you could name is 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 literally from plants. The only nutrient that we need that's not from plants is b twelve but it's also not from animals. it's from bacteria. So I am not an expert. I am not a doctor. I am not going to and I'm not going to deny that you have that experience. I would just say that the nutrients we need are plant-based, and there are ways to get the nutrients. Um, so that you don't have to get them from animal products. Now, certainly there's a lot to say around absorption. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're talking about eggs and fish, I mean, it's really interesting because a lot of people who, who say that they talk about eggs and fish. Now I don't know exactly what's happening there, but when I hear that, I hear omega threes and I hear fat. Mm -hmm. Um,
0: that's fair. No, that's very true.
1: Yeah. I mean, and literally the reason that, eggs have omega-3 fatty acids in them or have um, any nutrients in them is because of the feed that's being given to the chickens. So can you skip the chicken's eggs and, and really focus on what those nutrients are that, um, so that you don't have to go through the animal products, right? So that's what I would say, first of all. And second of all, a lot of it also has to do with, um, calories mm-hmm. a lot of it has to do with familiarity I mean I'm, I, I always say that it's not about the animal products it's about fat salt flavor texture and familiarity Now you're talking about nutrients I'm talking about experience um, when people say I really want a steak and I felt better afterwards a it's more likely that you know when you say I really wanted a steak and I craved a steak you're not an obligate carnivore so no you didn't crave a steak you really wanted a steak and and be, and what you probably wanted was fat salt. You probably are used to the high amount of calories that you get from it. Um, also it's familiar. You're used to the chew. You're used to that flavor, right? So what I say to people is when they say I'm really craving X, and again, I'm not necessarily talking about the nutrients, but Mm -hmm. when people say I really tried, but I was craving, you know, meat or I was craving chicken or I was craving fish or I was craving a steak. You were not. Cause you're not, you're not an obligate carnivore. We do not pass by deer and cattle grazing on the side of the road and start, you know, um, attacking them so we could eat. That's not, we're not obligate carnivores. I don't know about you, but no, you know, you might, some people who are listening might do that. I don't really want to know. I don't know what happens in in New York these days. (laughs) Uh, I've been out of that area for a long time. But that's the point, is that we're not obligate carnivores. So what is it? Why do people think that they're craving it so much? And I do think a lot of it has to do with calories.
0: I think you're right. I've never thought about that before. I've never heard what you're saying right now, which is mind-blowing because I'm (laughs) an expert in plant-based eating, but I've never heard, uh, you know, really thought about the idea that maybe it was the calories because that could be very true. I mean, it's, it's easier to get a lot of calories, you know, in a salmon. And what's fascinating is I hated salmon my entire life. We had a running joke with my family. Talia doesn't eat salmon because my dad would always offer me salmon. I'd be like, dad, that's gross. I won't eat salmon. I'll never eat salmon. And then when I was starting to do this CrossFit stuff, my husband was eating salmon. And I'm like, I think I want that. And I'm like, ew, no. Like, you don't eat salmon. That's disgusting. And then I tried it and felt great. But maybe... I don't know. Had I just upped my calories or upped my fat? Huh. That's fascinating.
1: Yeah. And that's the thing is that the reason why there are so many more calories in animal products is because there's more calories in fat, as you obviously know, than there are in protein and carbohydrates. So we're very used to getting the calorie jolt from higher fat foods. The other issue related to salmon obviously is the omega-3 fatty acids, but you know, some of it could be a bit of a, of a, of a red herring. No, really no pun intended. I really did not. (laughs) I really did not do that. Um, But truly in the sense that we're just so we're, you know, Look, we have wiped out salmon populations pretty much in the West Coast uh, and in the East Coast. And so that's why most of the higher fatty fish are being farmed. And so those farms, they're feeding them antibiotics because they're confined. The fish are confined. They're giving them pesticides. They're giving them all the same Uh, drugs that any animal who's raised in intensive confinement get. But what they're not doing is giving them algae, which is what animals who would be swimming in the ocean get, because that's where the omega-3 fatty acids are. So if the fish aren't getting the omega-3 fatty acids, you're not getting the omega-3 fatty acids, even if you're eating the fish. So I would say, yes, A, in terms of increasing calories from good fats, uh, from all of the, you know, higher fat, you know, foods, it could be avocado, it could be, um, it could be uh, beans have higher amounts of fat in them. It could be nuts, et cetera, seeds. So increasing the calories, increasing the fat from the good fats, and also going straight to the source, which would be algae, which would be the DHA. You're going to be better off getting it directly from the algae um, without going through the animal and having all of the other problems, including the mercury, uh, including all of the heavy metals. So that that is something to consider.
0: Really fascinating. Fascinating. I'm just really Fascinating. <laughs> cool. You learn something new every day. I hope. That's the yeah, hope. All wow. of us. Okay, so what if somebody's listening, and I just had a chat with an environmentalist about recycling and and doing good stuff for the environment, you know, so, and I asked her this, I was like, listen, it's very hard to think that me washing a bottle and recycling it properly is really doing much when I walk by, you know, or go to hotels and see how much they're polluting the world, and they're destroying the planet, like, who gives a shit about my my recycled bottle, and so sometimes when I think about that, I'm like, oh, I'm not even going to rinse it out and do my recycling. So I want to ask you the same thing, but Mm. about eating a meatless meal. Like, you know, when you think about eating a meatless meal for somebody that doesn't do that often, that might sound terrifying or yucky or lame or whatever. And then you go to like a hotel buffet and you see how much meat or eggs or whatever they're, they're just wasting. Like, how do you ration yourself that like, okay, I should eat my meatless meal when you, how do you feel that it actually makes a difference?
1: Well, I I often say that I don't think it can make a difference. I think it does make a difference. Everything we do has an impact. Everything we do makes a difference. Everything we do has an effect. We don't get to decide whether we can make a difference or not. We get to decide only whether the difference we make is negative or positive. And that's the truth. There's no neutral actions. So I would say that we are already making a difference and we have to decide if the difference we make uh, is negative or positive. Because at the end of the day, I want to be able to put my head on my pillow and know that I did my best to live with integrity and consciousness and compassion because I can't control what the rest of the world does. All I can do is try to live with you know as much virtue as I, uh, as I aspire to. And that's what I think matters. And if everybody did that, and that's why I always say I'm not asking people to live according to my values. I'm urging people to live according to their own values. And if people reflected on what they're doing every day, whether it is buying plastic and buying animal products or just making unconscious decisions, at the end of the day, we have to look at ourselves in the mirror and say, did that really reflect who I am and what I care about? And only we can answer that question and based on that answer, make different choices. Mm,
0: that, bravo. I love that answer. That was so good. That was so good. You're pretty good at this. 20 years. <laughs> it looks good on you. <laughs>
1: It's true, it's authentic, I mean it it's not it's not because it sounds good, and I know you're not saying that, but no. I, it is I mean that very much is that we have to be able to look ourselves in the mirror and know that we're doing just the right thing sometimes that's just it's just what it comes down to is am I doing the right thing, and that's why we can't worry about everybody else bringing us back full circle to the beginning of this conversation. We have to just worry about ourselves and really be honest with ourselves about whether or not we're living the life that we want to live based on our own authenticity and our own our own virtue and our own values.
0: Amazing. I feel like the V in vegan for you is values.
1: (laughs) Yeah, for sure. For sure. Good
0: one. Okay. A few final, more fun questions, more lighthearted. What is your favorite planty or vegan, I can say vegan here, restaurant?
1: Ah, uh, 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 you know, gosh, I, oh gosh. Wow. The first stumper question for you. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I have think. There's so many. I mean, it, it's always like, what am I in the mood for? Are you talking about sit-down restaurant? Is it a fancy restaurant? Is it a takeaway <laughs> restaurant? You know, I love Beyond Sushi in New York so mm, much. Really good. Um, love Beyond Sushi. And actually, I would say Japanese food is probably my desert island food. So Shazen in San Francisco, also just a favorite. It's all Japanese. Uh, it's not completely temple Japanese cuisine, but Japanese cuisine. Shazen in San Francisco and Beyond Sushi in New York.
0: Love it. Beyond Sushi is so good. I'm not dishes then, but Beyond Sushi Rocks. It's just really innovative, planty sushi.
1: It is. It's yeah. so good. Because again, it's not about the fish. It's about, it's about the flavor. It's the about plants. everything you yeah. do to it. Yeah. What
0: is your favorite plant to eat?
1: I love... I eat carrots and bananas every single day. Yeah. Yeah. Carrots just and bananas. Just plain. Uh, I make a lot of banana and ice cream Nice (laughs) Um, and carrots. I do cut up carrots a lot, but I also make carrot juice. Um, But I just love them as snacks. Uh, I mean, of course I love kale, but everybody says kale. I know. Everybody does say kale. But carrots carrots
0: are really underrated, I feel like. I mean, because they were like one of the only vegetables that like your mom would put in your lunchbox or you'd like eat as a kid or like on the crudite platter. Like they're so lame kind of, but like they're freaking delicious. Like, they're
1: universal, don't but I tell you, tell you, don't ever put a baby carrot in my face because I won't eat it. I love I do baby not carrots. Like baby carrots, I hate them. <gasps> they're not real carrots. They're not real carrots. They're not. They're. They're not. They're bred for sweetness. They're bred for the sugar that's in them. They're not bred like the carrots that we know and love. That are earthy. Um, you know, you can taste the earth in just, you know, big carrots. Like you can taste how earthy they are. Baby carrots are bred for sweetness and I just cannot stand wow. them. So no, I am a fan Damn. of just regular carrots. Calm down I don't know.
0: over there. The whole other
1: conversation, <laughs> I know. It's a whole other podcast. I finally
0: hit friends. your hot button. <laughs> 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 All right. Well, I'm, I'm going to get on some real carrots real soon and then do a little blind taste test. No, what I know idea. you're absolutely right. Um, okay. What's your most used kitchen tool?
1: Well, it's the first thing I thought was the blender, and then I thought about my air fryer and then I thought Ooh. about my pressure cooker. Ooh. so those are my three most used small appliances. yeah,
0: <laughs> okay. what do you use your air fryer for? because I just oh my husband and I just bought God. one last night and it's in <gasps> en root right now. You're
1: kidding. Yes. oh my God, your life is about to change. Tell me for everything. the better. Uh, Number one is um, I bake sweet potatoes, like a ton of Japanese sweet potatoes first in like the little convection oven. Mm -hmm. And then I have them in the fridge. So whenever I want them, I just split one open and kind of you know, just kind of press the the flesh down and then put them in the air fryer open side up. And it's like a twice baked potato. Oh. They're incredible. And then you can drizzle balsamic vinegar, mm. put non-dairy butter on them, whatever you want. So I use them for sweet potatoes a ton, or like, for instance, I was just on the plane. And what I'll do is I'll just slice them up and then put them in the air fryer about six minutes. And then they're just, they have kind of dried out a bit, meaning that they're easy to, put in a container and bring on the plane with you. Cause you can just eat them like a snack yeah. and they're really filling. Um, so they're great for traveling, but I'll also use the air fryer for, I mean, name it, Brussels sprouts, broccoli, broccolini, cauliflower, kale. Um, I just do everything in the air fryer. It's, it's a, it's a game changer. Oh
0: my God. I'm so, do you have recipes on your site for air fried plants?
1: There are people, I mean, JL Fields has a vegan air fryer, but honestly, like just any kind of vegetable with a little bit, whether you use oil or not, you don't have to, it's going to be a little richer with some oil. And I think it'll be better because especially since you're saying that you need some more um, fat and calories. Mm -hmm. Um, But a little bit of oil rubbed on something like broccolini or cauliflower, and then just salt and whatever spices you want, and then put in the air fryer for six minutes, seven minutes, whatever it is. You don't need a recipe for that. Like that's, that's pretty much what it is. It's so good. Amazing. Do you use coconut oil? Yeah. mm -hmm, Okay. For sure.
0: Oh my God. I'm so excited. I'm going to let you know when I get it. I want to know.
1: (laughs) I do. I really want to know.
0: Awesome. What is your favorite thing you do for self-care?
1: Oh, gosh, a lot. Actually, I, I hike a lot. I'm outside a lot. I um I have a whole routine in the morning that includes reading and meditation. And uh, I mean, I practice the philosophies that are meaningful for me. Uh, I spend a lot of time with my husband, with my cats, uh, with friends and traveling. I mean, so I really have a, a life that's based on things I love and, and what feels good and it's it's a good thing.
0: That sounds great. Now, on the cover of your new book, you are kissing a cow. Is that your cow?
1: <laughs>
0: that would be a
1: steer because
0: he's oh, a boy. Sorry,
1: uh, okay, I won't tell him. Um, <laughs> Everyone's got their gender things these days. No, it's true. It's so funny. We all say we say cow, but uh, no, technically, it's a boy. That's Linus. I met him when he was just a um, couple weeks old when he first came to Farm Sanctuary gosh, I don't even know now, 12 years ago, f- 15 years ago, probably 15 years ago. And, uh, he was a baby. He was a, um, he was a calf that was about to be killed, um, by a dairy farmer because he was a male because males were all killed in the dairy industry. Oh, no. And he was brought to farm sanctuary and I knew him from a very young age and he would always try to sit on my lap. No, and, um, as a lap grew- steer. He was a lap steer and he was, I mean, and, and he was 1500 pounds, um, in the end oh and uh, would also continue to try to sit on my lap and I love, oh. I loved him very much. We lost him last year oh. and, um, he was one of the great gifts of my life. I miss him. And, uh, but he has brought much joy to many people who have seen that photo and other photos I've had of Linus throughout the years. He was pretty it's incredible
0: beautiful. Yeah. and he's on your book forever.
1: Yes, indeed.
0: Oh. What's how long did he live?
1: About fifteen years. Wow! Yeah, that's
0: yeah. awesome. Yeah. That's such yeah. a sweet story. I'm so glad I asked.
1: Yeah, he's oh, awesome.
0: That's great. Okay, awesome. Well, what is a books? I don't no good segue besides your own. Well, you've already said a few books that really inspired you. What would you say for somebody that's besides your seven, um, that's really inspired you? That somebody might want to read after listening to this.
1: Well, uh, it's not... Oh, I mean, the books that I read mostly are not necessarily books about veganism. Um, it's about living, uh, you know, just living consciously and thoughtfully. The books that um, mean the most to me that I literally read every day and that I memorize and that I carry with me every day um, are two. I would say The Tao Te Ching um, by Lao Tzu. It's a 2,000-year-old book, so The Tao uh, Te Ching. And then um, Marcus Aurelius' uh, Meditations, which is also about 2,000 years old. The wisdom that we know. Has have today uh, is not new. It's really been wisdom that has um, carried down through the ages. So those are the two books, Meditations and the Tao Te Ching, that I would wow. encourage.
0: Awesome. Great. Not recipe yeah. books. Interesting. No.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure.
0: All right. Great. Well, where can everybody get your million books, stay connected with you? You have two podcasts, Food for Thought and Animology. Where should everybody go? What should they do next?
1: <laughs> Thanks, Talia. <laughs> well, they can go to joyfulvegan.com that has the new book and people can link to my main website from there my main website is my name colleenbadrickgoudreau.com but if they go to joyfulvegan.com which is easier to remember and spell uh, and say <laughs> then uh, they'll find they'll be able to link over to my main website as well amazing a joyful vegan and you are definitely a
0: joyful vegan and i had a joyful time speaking with you thank you so much
1: oh thank you so much
0: thanks so much for listening to the Party in My Plants podcast. I hope you're feeling off the hook to feel the need to hook into labels. Labels are unnecessary and itchy. That's why I always quip them out of my clothes. (laughs) Okay, good one. Okay, a great one is that since this was recorded a century ago, more like November, I moved into our new house since and got an air fryer. And just like Colleen said, it's the freaking best. In fact, I so regret not having one during the writing of my book because I think I would change like 70% of the recipes in my book to use an air fryer since it's something that really, 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 really takes the hell out of healthy eating. I highly recommend it. I've also been posting cooking demos on Instagram stories a lot using my air fryer, so hang with me on Instagram at Party In My Plants if you're curious how I make plant parties in it. And hit up the show notes for this episode at partyinmyplants.com slash 178 for a recap of everything Colleen said, links to her million books, and a link to mine, my one book that's inspired by books like hers, which comes out in under two weeks. Or you can buy Party in Your Plants wherever books are sold online because of coronavirus. Stay safe, stay sane, and stay sanitized, my friends.